Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Together, nothing personal word of the day. Today's Monday, August 23rd. We're back. I missed you guys. Thank you for listening to the mailbag episodes and to the sit down with Billy Corbin, that great movie director who loves Miami so much. We're back today. Together is the word of the day because for the first time since March 16th of 2020, Coca and I were in the same breathing the same air in the same place, came up to see me this weekend, had some fun, talked about nothing personal, talked about the trip, just got back from Iceland, which is if you've never had a chance to go and you ever have a chance to go and you are adventurous, you can climb glaciers, you can drive around the entire country trying to figure it all out. It's fascinating, different climates, volcanic ash. Do you know, it looks like Mars and the moon I was speaking to Terry Verts about Iceland and they use basically Iceland to practice lunar stuff. And it looks like Martian stuff. Game of Thrones films there went into a cave where Game of Thrones does stuff where there's hot water. Who knows? Never watched it. It's fun to be together with Coca because people react the same way. Yes, he's real. And in 71 episodes, that will be proven because we're episode 429 not counting sit downs and everything else, but I missed it all through the course of Iceland. I'm looking for stories. I'm thinking about things to talk about, wondering when I'm going to make it back. And we miss so much. We're going to be a little baseball focused today because for whatever reason, we're in the middle of baseball season while football is starting. I could talk about Aaron Rodgers, his farewell tour, preseason football. One thing, Coca, that we talked about, Preseason football, it makes me laugh. Everyone says preseason football doesn't mean a thing. But then when somebody does well on your team, like let's say Jordan Love has a good game or Zach Efron has a good game or whoever, you, you always say, hey, look at that. He's ready. We're good. And when someone has a bad game, everyone says, ah, doesn't matter. Fans, you guys will do anything, won't you? When you're a fan, I used to be that. Anything to make yourself feel better about your team and your chances. So New York Mets fans have had decades of misery, although I shouldn't say that. They were in the World Series in 2001. No, 2000, Yankees-Mets. They were in the World Series in 2015 again. That's two World Series appearances since 2000. That is not too shabby, doll. But of course, they haven't won since 86. But Steve Cohn, the new owner, comes on. And you guys are trying to figure out what's he like. He's going to spend money. Then he trades for Lindor and signs for $340 million. Thank God he didn't spend money on Trevor Bauer is what you're saying. Is he going to get too involved? No, he goes to a couple games. 
doesn't really hang out with the players except for dinner, ordering shrimp and grits, whatever else Steve likes to eat. And then you're watching him tweet. You may follow him on Twitter. If you don't, you should, because it's a train wreck of a Twitter account. He got criticized. He went off Twitter. Then he went back on Twitter and something happened while we were away. That is the number one story to talk about because I've never seen anything like it. I was a very involved team president. There's no question about it. Worked for an owner who was very involved. There are 30 very involved team presidents and 30 very involved team owners. There are grades of involvement. There's no doubt. And there are certain rules when they hand out the book of ownership written by Denzel Washington. You look through it and page two, rule seven, do not communicate with your team through the media. It's a very simple rule. The reason why you don't do it without speaking to your players first, of course. Now, do you understand the difference? If you go up to a player and say, I'm very disappointed with this behavior and I'm going to have to say that when asked. And I've done that with many players, not for on on field stuff, but off field things that are going on or performance of the team. You talk to your your playership executive council. You talk to certain veterans. Here's what I'm going to have to say when asked. When there's a suspension, when there's something going on, I'm going to have to respond to it. But you go to the player first. When your team is not playing well and you've lost a bunch of games, you're in first place all year. People in New York are excited. The Yankees aren't playing well. The Mets are playing well. Steve Cohn's wet dream is coming true that he his um not that. Stop. Ready, Coca? First one. Not bad. Five minutes in, day one back. Three, six, nine. When you're the owner of the team and your dream is coming true because the Yankees aren't playing well, you are playing very well. Everyone is writing about you're on the back pages. You're the story of New York and it's what you've always wanted. Come August 1st, you've been in first place for, I don't know, three months. You're four games up in first place. You say to yourself as an owner, this is easy. I've got this. We put this team together. Sandy Alderson and his son are great. We don't need anybody other. We don't need Jared Porter. We've made it through all of the craziness. We don't have Jacob DeGrom. We don't need him. We're in first place. We're doing well. Okay. Cut to today's August 23rd. 22 days later, three weeks. It is almost impossible to lose 11 games in the standings in three weeks. And that is what the Mets have done. The Braves became the hottest team in baseball. The Mets became amongst the coldest teams, maybe in the National League, certainly not colder than the Orioles, who haven't won since the Black Cat walked across the field. They lost 18 in a row, which is not easy to do. I was telling Coco before the show, you can't lose 18 in a row or win 18 in a row. It's, it's virtually impossible, but we've seen it, but once in a blue moon. So the Mets went from four up to seven back. And when you are the owner of a team and you are watching your team slide, here's the mentality. When you lose a game, you feel as though you're going to lose the next day. That doubt creeps in, that negativity creeps in, which is why I always liked winning opening day because you felt like you could win 162 in a row. I always 
hated losing, not just because I hate losing that particular day, but because it stays with you, that feeling. I can forget about the loss a half hour after a game, but when you get ready for the next game and you look in the standings, you see L1, L2, L3, L4, which is a losing streak, whatever the number is, and you just feel as though when the game starts, you give up a run, you don't drive a runner in to get a lead. You leave the bases loaded. Anything that happens during the course of a game when you've lost three in a row, you feel as though that's the end of that game. When a negative thing happens, when you've won three in a row, you feel like no problem. We'll get them the next inning and you're going to win the game. It's a very bizarre mentality when you run a team. So Steve Cohn has that mentality. And when things are going badly, he feels as though he sees it slipping. He sees the avalanche. And then every once in a while, the avalanche happens. And when you're a new owner, you get very frustrated because you don't have a frame of reference. Something that we may have talked about on one of the mailbag episodes, frames of reference to me are everything. You can't be happy if you've never been sad. You can't laugh if you've never cried. You can't experience winning if you've never lost. You can't experience success if you've never failed. Frame of reference is how I function, actually. If, if I think even a layer deeper about my personality and what makes me go every day, I use frame of references in a micro and macro way. The micro frame of reference is something that's happened from one second to the next or one minute to the next or one phone call to the next. And then the macro frame of reference is how I feel during the course of a day or a deal that's happening, which has very many ups and downs. And you have to learn how to deal with the ups and downs. And Steve Cohn and his job as a hedge fund manager and running money, he certainly understands gains, losses, how to measure those. But when you get into baseball, you believe that it's all going to be roses with no thorns. And how you act when the thorn comes is what the players are looking for. The equivalent is when you're on an airplane and there's bad turbulence and you see flight attendants serving drinks and talking and laughing, you say to yourself, we're good. But when you see the flight attendant run up to the pilot, to the captain and start crying and screaming, you say, this could be it. So players look to the manager and their coaches to see how to react, how they should feel about what's happening with the state of the team. And everybody looks to the president and the owner. If you're an owner of a team and you're sitting near the dugout or you're sitting in the suite or you're walking through the clubhouse and you think players are not paying attention to your body language, to the words you're saying, if they think they don't recognize that when you only go to games and then you're losing and you leave in the fifth inning, players notice that all the time. Players notice when Steve Cohn comes, comes to a game. They notice when he leaves. They follow and watch what he says on Twitter. And everything's going fine until Steve Cohn tweets out how terrible his offense is. Talking about how inexcusable it is, how unprofessional it is, how professionals could possibly be as bad as the Mets hitters. And I couldn't believe it. That was the day the Mets were done. Francisco Lindor came out and said, he's right. We haven't played well. But inside that clubhouse, they look at that owner and they don't even want to see him in the clubhouse. 
They don't want to talk to him. The only players who are going to keep kissing the owner's ass are the players who are looking for long-term extensions who aren't prepared and aren't good enough to get him, like a Conforto or an Alonzo. He specifically said it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. He's talking about his own players, thinking that that's going to motivate him. Louis Rojas, who is the manager who's waiting to get fired, and he will get fired with this Mets collapse. He tried to say, we are a united ship. We agree with our owner. We understand our owner. But inside that clubhouse, and I've been there, I've seen it. There's backbiting. There's chirping about what a POS the owner is and how he could do that, how he could abandon us during these times. And what that happens, when that happens, it impacts the on the field performance. Now you're going to say, well, the Mets beat the Dodgers yesterday. Yes, they did. You're going to say the Mets beat the Giants 6-2 by scoring four runs in extra innings. Yes, they did. You're going to say when I do my pick of the day that I had the Mets winning and they did that particular day. So what could be the problem? Mark my words, this is not even a wait to see. The Mets are done. The Mets are three games below 500. They're lucky if they win 81 games. They will not make the playoffs. And it is not their greatest collapse. The greatest Mets collapse, Coca, how could we not have even discussed this yesterday or today or the day before? Were you a Mets fan the last year at Shea? Or maybe it was it was when Tom Glavin was pitching the last game of a season against Dontrell Willis. And they had a win in their in. And we crushed Glavin in the first inning, scored like seven runs or something. 2007. Thank you, Coca. So the Mets have collapsed. There was another season where the Mets had a huge lead and they lost in the last two weeks. So I understand that as Mets fans, you're used to this. But this one hurts a little more because you thought it was different, didn't you? You thought Steve Cohen was the difference. You thought the Yankees were done. Meanwhile, the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball, along with the Braves. They've won nine in a row. They're 16 and three since the Orioles game with that black cat. They had great deadline acquisitions, according to you, in Rizzo and Gallo and Andrew Heaney. So why am I mentioning the Yankees? Because the Yankees start a season, a series against the Braves tonight. But more importantly, something happened with the Yankees while I was away that I had not seen happen publicly before. There is competition between players. In the clubhouse, you can say as though we are a united team. We've got 26 guys. They all love each other. They don't. There are cliques in the clubhouse. There is jealousy in the clubhouse. I've told you that players pay attention to in-game entertainment and how many times their image is on the board during the psych-up videos. They pay attention to how many at-bats they get, how many games they start, how many games they finish if you're a pitcher. Often pitchers have games finished incentives or plate appearance incentives. So players know where their incentives are. They know where their teammates' incentives are, where the levels are. Believe me, they're paying attention to everything. They need to play. When you are a young player who has not yet hit arbitration or a player who is in arbitration, meaning you're in the first six years of your Major League Baseball career, and you do not have a long-term guaranteed contract, you need to play. 
because we'll go into the arbitration room as the executives of a team. And if you do not start every game, or if you are a bench player, if you've been on the DL, or if you've been demoted to the minor leagues, we're keeping track of all that. And we are using that as an argument to not pay you what you want in arbitration. So the Yankees have a player named Luke Voigt. You may know that name because he led the league in home runs last year, which, as we have learned this season, last year's 60-game season meant nothing. All the stats, all the playoff teams in the extended playoffs in a 60-game season, you recognize when you look at this year how meaningless it actually was. And the Yankees had Luke Voigt. He's leading the league. This year, he's hurt. The Yankees trade for Anthony Rizzo. Luke Voigt is hurt, but he's coming back. He sees Rizzo playing first base. And Luke Voigt did something that I give him a lot of credit for, except it's a huge mistake as a young player. And I want to tell you why. Luke Voigt went public saying, I deserve to play as much as Anthony Rizzo. Seems innocuous, doesn't it? What's the big deal? Luke Voigt's had a good year. He deserves to play, right? Page three, paragraph nine of the veteran rookie how to keep a clubhouse together playbook says, do not ever publicly call out one of your teammates ever. You may hate the veteran on your team. I told you our players in 03 had problems with Pudge. They had problems when he left in the middle of the season to go to his own hitting coach. And you know what? They kept it private. They played the game. Players had problems with Hanley. They kept it private. They played the game. Luke, Luke Voigt does not have a problem with Anthony Rizzo personally. No one could. That's how good a person Anthony Rizzo is. But you do not ever let a player say to another player in the media, I deserve to play as much or more than he does. If the Yankees and Brian Cashman are paying attention, which they are because he's a veteran, and Aaron Boone knows exactly what he's doing inside a clubhouse, regardless of winning or losing, he knows how to deal with personalities. He went right up to Luke Voigt and said, listen, Luke, uh, you can't do that. You got to go talk to Anthony. But then he did something even better if he's worth his weight in salt. If you're Aaron Boone or Brian Cashman, you go up to Anthony Rizzo because this is what I would do. You go up to Rizzo and say, hey, I need you to be the veteran. I need you to be the bigger man. I need you to approach Luke sit him down and explain the rules of the road. Tell him that you're not upset. Tell him that you respect his game, but then it mentioned to him that he should never do it again. It takes the right veteran to do that. Anthony Rizzo is that guy. The Yankees to me are not a championship team having nothing to do with any internal conflict, any Cashman Boone issues, none of that. <clears throat> Their biggest issue is pitching. You know that. 
Okay. Oh, one more thing about the Yankees that strikes me and why Steve Cohn is going so crazy about the Mets fall. When you care only about your team and the back pages and somehow becoming the Yankees, you are dealing with 75 years of history. All through Iceland, I was there 10 days. I want to tell you that I saw, because I kept track on my phone, 14 Major League Baseball hats. 14. 13 Yankees and one Dodger. Steve Cohen's not changing that in the course of a year or five or 10 or 20. We come back, we're going to review a movie that is very special that Coco won't watch and I don't know why. And when we, after we review the movie, I forgot we have to do this, Coco, but we are going to talk about the trading card business and what MLB did to their oldest partner. We'll be right back on Nothing Personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for staying with us during the break and for listening to those mailbag episodes. We are back live and ready to go. We watch a movie every day. I still watched a movie every day, but they were mostly repeats because of the international rules of streaming. But I have started to watch new movies again each day. I got a bunch of them for this week. Uh, Make sure that you watch Reminisce. We're going to review that this week. But I'd heard from you. I love that you give me suggestions on movies to watch. I keep track. I've showed you my phone. I keep track on this phone of lists of movies that you're telling me to watch. And I had many people telling me you got to check out Coda. So I did. Coda's on Apple TV+. Plus. Let me start at the end. Get Apple TV+. Plus. It is worth the entire year of subscription money that you'll pay not according to Coca, just to watch CODA. CODA is a story about, it stands for children, child of deaf adults. There is one hearing daughter, one deaf brother, son, and then two deaf parents. The mother's played by Marley Matlin, the Academy Award winner from Children of a Lesser God, which is already 35 years ago. You may know Marley Matlin from West Wing as well. She's done a bunch of things. She's had a full career as a hearing impaired actress. Coda made me cry. And the reason why I cried is I was watching this family. I was watching how difficult it was for the daughter to take care of her parents and to be the interpreter for her parents while trying to have her own life as well. And you know who else stars in the movie? Well, Amelia Jones is plays the daughter, but the lead from Sing Street, which is another movie that you should watch. Coco, what is the guy's name? It's a three prong name. Something Frida Kahlo. I don't think he's at Diego Rivera Frida Kahlo, I believe also stars in that movie. 
And the father is played by a deaf actor who should be nominated for supporting actor award. If you do not watch Coda, it's because you're not willing to see good movies. Ferdia Walsh Pilo is exactly who it is. Coca, thank you. Why did I say Diego Rivera, Frida Kahlo? Nope, Ferdia Walsh Pilo. Any art people out there laughing at that? See, this is when not having a studio audience hurts me because Coca is not laughing because it's an artist, of course. Coca, do you have any idea when I say Diego Rivera, Frida Kahlo, what I'm talking about? Any? Talk to me. 23 minutes in and he's still pissed. No, he doesn't. All right, Frida Kahlo. Just Google it. Watch Coda, please. It's going to be nominated. This is two years in a row with unbelievable movies involving hearing the hearing impaired. You had Sound of Metal last year. You've got Coda this year. And people are angry about Coda. And it bothers me. It bothers me as much as all the people who are upset with Lin-Manuel Miranda and In the Heights claiming there's not enough representation in the Heights when Lin-Manuel Miranda has done more for minority representation on screen and on the stage than anyone ever. Meanwhile, Coda is a movie put together where 40% of the movie is in sign language with captions, which is different than how Children of a Lesser God did it, which is another movie you should see with William Hurt and Marley Matlin. But there are people in the Coda community who were unhappy with the representation, thought that they did not show hearing impaired families as able as they are. There were people unhappy that it was a white family and not a black family or a POC for any people of color, which there were, but the family was a white family. And I started thinking to myself, we've lost our finesse a little bit here. Please watch Coda and don't judge it on that grounds. Please watch In the Heights and don't judge it on the grounds of the few people who are making issues where issues do not need to exist. Now, if you are a company and you get totally screwed, what do you do? First thing you do is call your lawyer, right? You say, hey, did any any cause of action here, any way we can sue, any way we have a contract in place, any way we can be protected? There's a company that you know well, I know well, if you've ever collected baseball cards or seen a baseball card or chewed a piece of stale bazooka, plastic bazooka, tops baseball cards. There's such a great feeling when you open the package and I'm going to bring you back in a sensory way, which is ironic given Coke and I can't smell a thing. When you open a new pack of baseball cards and you get a whiff of that bazooka gum in the package. Then you take that rectangular piece of dreamlike gum that is gonna bring you back to the dentist very quickly. You crack it because they crack. You put it in your mouth while you look through the cards that you've gotten. And then you get ready to flip cards or trade cards or collect cards or figure out, got it, need it, need it, got it, have it, don't have it, need it, have it, have it, have it. Who's done it? I've done that. Tops has been a partner with Major League Baseball for as long as I can remember. What is it, Coca? 70 years? Something completely unbelievable. Major League Baseball has a person in charge of revenue named Noah Garden, chief revenue officer, who I've known a very long time whose sole job is to make money 
for Major League Baseball and its owners. That's his job. He is not the chief sympathy officer. He is not the chief reminiscing officer. He is the chief revenue officer. When you are in charge of making money, you do deals with companies who pay you the most. With reckless disregard toward tradition, tradition, that doesn't make him a bad guy. It makes him a smart guy. He's the one who I was talking to you about last week, two weeks ago, whenever it was, negotiating with Barstool. Oh, my God, how could they do a deal with Barstool? How could they do a deal for trading cards that doesn't involve tops? And the reason is there is now a competitor named Fanatics. You may know Fanatics because they're the on-field. They've got clothing. They've got hats. They've got autographs, memorabilia. Guess what they're trying to get into now? Trading cards. Guess what else they're going to get into? Just like DraftKings, just like Amazon. They're going to eventually get into live programming content. Everybody's looking for content. Everybody is looking to corner the market and then consolidate their businesses under one roof and control from A to Z. The way it works in Major League Baseball is you own the Marks, Yankees, Marlins, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals. They have logos, the NY, the M, whatever it is. Those are proprietary and owned by the teams in Major League Baseball. The union owns the name, image, and likeness of all of the players. The owners and the union get together and combine because logo plus image equals a picture on a baseball card. Every year in spring training, there is baseball card photo day where the players have to take their photos and those are the photos used on baseball cards. So the union and management work together and they negotiate deals where you combine NIL and trademarks and you sell it as a package to people who want to exploit images and trademarks. And Tops had been that company. Tops had a deal to license names, images, and likenesses from players from the union, and they had a license to use trademarks and logos from owners. And they paid a lot of money for that. The union keeps its money. The owners keep its money. You can't live without the other because if you sell a baseball card that has a picture of a player, a Yankee player wearing a white shirt or a uniform that is not with the NY, it's just not going to be worth as much. And if you've got a Giancarlo Stanton card that has the NY, but you don't have a face, you've got my face on it, not going to sell as well. So there's a symbiotic relationship, a codependent relationship. Tops figured that while their licensing agreement was going to run out in 2022 on one end and 2025 on the other with baseball, with the owners, they assumed they had no issues. Meanwhile, Fanatics is negotiating with Noah Garden. Fanatics offers to pay way more than Tops ever could because Tops does not have the other streams of revenue to cover an increase in the expense of getting this license, where Fanatics has all sorts of other streams of revenue, which is why the rich get richer. And the middle class and the poor end up staying or getting poorer. That's the same thing with companies. It's why little mom and pop bookshops or tool shops are going out of business or home goods shops 
because you've got the behemoths. So Fanatics is able to, by the way, side note, Amazon is the number one example of that. So Fanatics calls up Noah Garden, says, listen, we want the right to make trading cards. It's going to be part of a much bigger initiative that we have. And we are willing to pay three times what Topps is doing. What do you do if you are Major League Baseball? Do you give Topps another chance? Do you call him and say, hey, any thoughts on matching an offer by Fanatics? Nope. The only time you ever go back to get an offer from another company who is the incumbent is if they've got a contractual right of first refusal. A contractual right of first refusal is when you work and if you're if you have a company, you're going to want this because they're really cool to have. That means that if you buy something from someone for $10 and that someone can sell it to someone else for $12, that person has to come to you and say, would you like to buy this for $12? You may see that in certain electronic stores. Prove to me that you can buy this TV for cheaper and we'll match that price. That's on the low side. There's also right of first refusal on the upside. The problem with having rights of first refusal is that if you are fanatics and you know that Tops has a right of first refusal, that can have a quashing impact on what you offer because you are and could be used as a stalking horse, which means that if you get an offer of $12, you know that the other incumbent is going to pay the $12. So you're not really getting anything other than an extra $2 for the company that you were trying to do business with. And that's no fun. But Tops didn't have a right of first refusal. Tops had no rights at all other than the license. And the deal with Fanatics was done overnight with Art Modell. Is Art Modell the guy? God, I wish I could have left that alone. Who's the guy who moved his team in the middle of the night, Coca? It was a football team. The moving trucks actually came in the middle of the night. I want to say it was Art Modell moving from Baltimore to Cleveland, but I could be wrong. Oh, I'm right. No, I'm not right. That's a yes, no from Coca. Coca, you're going to have to be more specific. Anyway. Oh, it was a move to Baltimore. Thank you. Remember how that happened in the night? The moving trucks came and like ESPN was there. It's when the Ravens became the Ravens. And everyone was all upset when the Colts left. So it wasn't Art Modell, actually. Was it Ursay then? Modell moved his team, but not in the middle of the night. Was it Ursay who moved his team? But I thought Ursay is the current owner of the Colts. It was Modell. Okay, stop this. Ready? 9, 12, 69. Do you remember when Art Modell moved his team to Baltimore and it was the middle of the night with moving trucks. That is what MLB did to Tops. They did the deal with Fanatics and Tops didn't even know. Tops was about to go public. They were one of these SPAC transactions. I don't know if you've read about that, but if you haven't, don't. If you have, don't. It's, it's Fagazi. It's people making fake money. And Tops was going to go public, basically. And they had a valuation in the billions of dollars. And all of a sudden, they canceled it all because without the license to do baseball cards, they've got nothing. They're done. Done. So people wanted to know whether I was all upset 
that MLB did that? Or did I feel badly for tops? No, I didn't. Was I in any way sad that it happened? Sure, because I have a relationship with tops that goes back to childhood. So it's just all about wanting to be young again or thinking about the great days of your youth. It's business, folks. It's just business. Okay. I want to talk about uh, something else right now, if that's okay. I want to give you my pick of the day. Is that what you want me to do, Coca? I'm not sure what you're asking me to do. Do you want me to do wait to see? Do you want me to do pick of the day? Do you want me to talk about Trevor Bauer? Okay, here I go. I don't know if you remember this, but pick of the day, the day we left, which was a Tuesday, August 10th, we had a pick of Carlos Carrasco and the Mets beating the Nationals. Look back at that game. Carrasco actually sucked that game, but it doesn't matter because the Mets won. So we are 106 and 90. The pick today is the Braves over the Yankees. And I want to be specific about the Braves over the Yankees. This is a two-game interleague series. These are the two teams that I chose when the season started that would be in the World Series with the Braves beating the Yankees. This is before Acuna got hurt. This is before Ozuna violated all sense of proper behavior. This is before Soroka tore his Achilles again while walking in the clubhouse. Yet somehow the Braves are one nine in a row. They've won a huge number of road games in a row also, Coca. They did something staggering. I think they went on a nine-game road uh, trip and won all nine. Is it possible the Braves are better than the Yankees? I'm not exactly sure. I just know they've won 13 games in a row on the road, which I think is a record. And I know that they are now going to be home. And when you come off a successful road trip, the mentality is you don't want to leave the road. It sounds crazy, right? You want to get home. You want to get into your own bed. You want to see your family. You want to get into the bigger clubhouse. But when you get into a road rhythm, you want one more series, one more game, one more night. Well, the Braves don't have that. The Yankees are coming to town and their lineup is absolutely mashing. They've got Jordan Montgomery on the hill, who to me is their best player, their best pitcher. You're going to say, David, how can that be? It's Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole has had a few good starts, a few bad starts since the end of foreign substances. There's something about Montgomery's year that I trust him with the ball. I don't know that I'd give it to him over Cole in a one-game wild card. I wouldn't. I'd still give it to Cole. But tonight, I think the Yankees will win 10 in a row and the Braves will lose their first home game after coming in off the road. I am going Yankees over Braves as the pick of the day. So there's another team that has been hugely hot and that is the Dodgers somehow making it through the distraction of Trevor Bauer. They're only a game and a half maybe now behind the Giants. They have left the San Diego Padres who stink in their rearview mirror. The Padres are out of the division race. The Padres are not even the wild card anymore. The Cincinnati Reds have caught them. But the Dodgers have been trying to move on past Trevor Bauer. And every time you think it's possible they're going to move on, more news comes out about Trevor Bauer. I was sitting in the middle of the ocean 
when the Washington Post released an article where Trevor Bauer years ago, not the most recent issue, but had other issues with other women. And I said to myself, that's it. Trevor Bauer, before I knew he was done, but now he's done, done. Like he was medium well, and now he's crisp toast. Trevor Bauer had to release a statement the first time he's been public. First time since all this happened, his Twitter had gone very, very quiet. He had let his friend Rachel, his agent Rachel, and now he's got a stable of lawyers. He had let them do statements. But Trevor Bauer could be quiet no more. He released a statement on his Twitter that was written by his representatives. It was not written by Trevor. It had to be approved by lawyers, I promise you, because there's criminal investigations going on regarding his behavior. Any criminal lawyer that allows a client to say anything publicly without approving is a criminal lawyer you should fire immediately. So I'm assuming that Trevor Bauer has good criminal lawyers because he's still getting paid while he's on administrative leave. And he wanted to make it clear that what he is being accused of, he had not done. He wanted to make it clear that the Washington Post, the Washington Post, forget what you think politically of where they are. Are they on the left? Are they on the right? You know where they are. But what's the difference? The Washington Post is a credible newspaper. Trevor Bauer's position was to say that the Washington Post was coercing comments, asking leading questions of women of his past, trying to do a smear job on Trevor Bauer. And Trevor, I ask you this. Why do you think the Washington Post needs to do a smear job on you? You've done it to yourself. Why do you think they need to do another investigative piece on you? They don't. Do you think they had to make up all these women who were saying all these things about all the things you've done to them? Why would they? There's no upside. It's not like they're the Miami New Times or something or some rag. They don't need it. They went with it because they got it right. They went with it because people told them what you had done to them. Trevor Bauer got upset. The lawyers got upset. The agents got upset. And all of this is while they were preparing for this hearing where everybody misunderstood what was going on. So I want to be very clear as to what happened. When you get a restraining order ex parte, that means that you have gone to court, you've gotten a restraining order that you don't want someone to go near you, but that someone did not have a chance to respond. The judge granted it because you were in clear and present and immediate danger for your physical well-being. In order to get that removed or to get that extended, there has to be another hearing before a judge. Trevor Bauer is being accused of horrific physical violence against a woman who he did have sex with, he acknowledged, who was consensual, they acknowledged, but the level of violence, Trevor's saying that photo of the woman that was Photoshopped now, the level of violence choking her out, hitting her below the belt, none of that was bargained for. There's been a ton of slut shaming going on by the Bauer camp which I disapprove of completely. You don't need to do that. Why don't you just have a client who doesn't beat the crap out of the woman who he's sleeping with? But the hearing that took place when Trevor Bauer took the fifth, he did not testify. He was asked a question and said, Fifth Amendment, which is my right not to self-incriminate. Doesn't mean you're guilty. 
It just means that the lawyers think that you are not smart enough or good enough to say what needs to be said in order to give yourself a better chance at a successful run when you are being looked at in a criminal case. I have no problem with Bauer pleading the fifth. It is a constitutional right. Good. The problem I have is with Trevor Bauer and his attorneys and representatives saying that by prevailing in the hearing, that is a huge victory for them. And they did prevail in the hearing. That means the order to stay away from the woman, the restraining order has been disappeared. No problem. Those orders, again, if the judge doesn't feel that the woman is in danger, there's no reason for the woman to have an order against the man. Trevor Bauer made it very clear and has made it clear. The attorneys made it clear. He doesn't want to see her or be with her again. The only thing the judge was ruling on is whether or not the woman was in current risk, not whether she was in risk in the past, not whether she got beaten up, not whether she got choked out, not whether her lip was split. None of that. That was not part of this case. So for Bauer and for his people or for the Dodgers, for MLB to think, ah, phew, we dodged the bullet. We're good. No. MLB has to make a decision with its investigation. Pasadena has to make a decision with its criminal investigation. And meanwhile, what I said about Trevor Bauer stays. Trevor Bauer will not pitch again for the Dodgers this season. At the very least, his administrative leave, which expires every Friday, will continue to get extended until he is suspended. All those wait to see stay in place. I promise you. I hope that you have a much better feeling about Trevor Bauer and what happened while I was away. Yesterday, I want to end with this, Coca, if you don't mind. Yesterday, Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th home run. Hit it against Steven Matz, the former Met, current Blue Jay. A victory by the Tigers who are playing well. I was thinking about June 20th, 2003, when Miguel Cabrera in his first game hit a walk-off home run against the Tampa Bay Rays. I was thinking about Miguel Cabrera's The Trade in 2007, which people are still angry about in Miami, as am I. I was thinking about explaining why I did The Trade, but I've done it. Don't want to do it again. I was thinking about how happy Miggy is about what he accomplished because he wanted to win more rings. He's won one. He thought he'd win 20. It's hard to win a ring. He wanted to have a long career. He's been around 18 years. He's 38 years old now. His power is for the most part, gone. He hits about 13 to 15 a year. His ability to hit for average is about gone because Father Time doesn't lose ever to anyone. He's undefeated. But Miguel Cabrera is now part of a club that is so exclusive. 28 people have ever hit 500 more home runs. And do you know how many people have hit 500 home runs and gotten 3,000 hits? And he's only 40 hits away? Six. That's it. Miguel Cabrera will go down as one of the top 10, get ready for it, as one of the top 10 position players in history. And we were lucky enough to watch him in Miami. You've been lucky enough to have him in Detroit. Congratulations, Miggy. I'm proud of you. It's not easy to make history. It's not easy to be good over such an extended period of time. Keep going, Miggy. That's our show for today. Couldn't be happier to be back. We'll be back again tomorrow. You know why? 
because we do it every day, 45 minutes a day. Remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.